I want to do a thing here today that we don't normally do, and maybe it's maybe it's fun and has a little more meaning to it because we don't do it all the time. But I just wanted to take a minute here uh, and say a prayer um, as we're getting going here. But but here's what I want to do that's a little different than we usually do. You remember kneeling? Remember that? The problem with things like kneeling or, or things like that is when it becomes routine, it sometimes kind of loses its meaning, doesn't it? And so, and so it falls out of use for a season. And, and I'm not saying we're starting something that we're going to do all the time, but as I was sitting there, the thought just kind of occurred to me, let's, let's do a kneeling prayer. So, so as, if you are able, and I understand there's physical reasons why it's not possible, for everyone, um, let's just take a minute here and, and do one of those good old-fashioned kneeling prayers. So let's, let's do that. Father, you see us. I know you look on us here, and, and we are a people who have been blessed this morning through word and story and song. And, and these are examples of your people responding to your call and using who you have made them to be and what they have worked to improve to bring blessing to your church. And what's happened so far today is the greatest illustration of, of what I want to say. And I want to thank you today for the faithfulness of your people, for, for Tony and for Sandy and for Patty and for Matt and Lisa and Laura and Kensley and Kathy who have brought blessing to us. This is one of the ways that your spirit is poured out and and we have received that this day. And so we come humbly before you right now, Lord, on our knees, acknowledging that it is by your grace and your goodness and the kindness that you've put in the hearts of our brothers and sisters that we are blessed in this moment. And Lord, in this moment as we're here, we want to pray for, for Becky and for Japhet and for the, Olive, the Oliveira family as they continue in this most challenging and peculiar season that they find themselves in. We pray, Lord, for your grace to be with them. And for Keith McLaughlin as he is coming through his procedure. And for Al Williams, who stood in this place so many times and was a blessing to this congregation. Lord, we thank you for that service. And pray your grace on him at this time. And for Tony's mother, who continues to recover from surgery, and Ruth, who's continuing in the hospitalization, Lord, we lay these before you. And we ask your grace and mercy. And if there is a word or a deed that we can do in any of these cases, stir our heart to that action. And Lord, as we turn our minds now to reflect upon your word, you're a God who gives, 
You are a gift-giving God. But you do not give those gifts simply for our own amusement. You have a purpose in your giving. I pray, Lord, that we will sense that purpose in our own lives and that we will be givers too. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking since the beginning of the year about the Holy Spirit and the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the different, uh, the different ways the Spirit was manifest. We spent most of our time so far talking really in some ways about the history of how this came about and, and some of the unique realities that took place and how, how the coming of the Spirit, Jesus said, the Father has promised this. And how Jesus said, as much as you feel like it's better to have me with you, the truth is, it's better if I go, because if I go, then the Father will send the Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, my presence will be not just in the room with you, but my presence can then be with everyone on earth. This was a concept that I don't think the original disciples understood completely. Their sense of God's purpose and what he was going to do was very closed and limited, and I think that's still a danger of God's followers today, that our sense of God's purpose and what he wants to do becomes very closed and limited sometimes. But God's purpose was that this message of grace and peace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ would go to the whole world. And by the whole world, he meant everyone in the world. The original thinking of even the apostles was everyone that's Jewish no matter where they are in the world. But by means of the Holy Spirit, God broke down that prejudice in the minds of the disciples when the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentile Cornelius and Peter and the others of the righteous group or dare we sometimes say, of the self-righteous group, were amazed that God intended His grace to flow even to the Gentiles. And so they said, well, I guess if that's the case, we better baptize them. And things began to grow and spread. And again, we talked about how it wasn't Jerusalem that was the great evangelistic core of the church. It was Antioch, where they were first sent out. And in this we see that it's never been God's purpose that everything gets centralized into one place. The power of what God wants to do is manifest not in the individual of great giftedness, but rather in the whole of the community Everyone in the community that has received gifting from God. And the effectiveness of, evangelist, uh, of evangelism is not centered in one who stands and says things to a massive crowd, but rather within the body of believers who go out and live their lives every day. There have been seasons where events attract large crowds 
and great work is done and the Holy Spirit is poured out and there is a mass effect that takes place. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But I am saying that's not mostly how it happens. And I think particularly in our day, we're in a season where the one who stands up front is suspicious. But you are a trusted friend. As we bear in mind these thoughts, I want to jump into, into our message for today. But as I do that, just to mention about last Sabbath. Last Sabbath's topic was a little tough and, and could be a little offsetting in a way to the notion of, well, do I really want to be filled with the Spirit? But let me remind you that the point of that is more about hypocrisy than anything else. It's more about claiming a reality and wanting to be treated in a way when in fact in your heart you're far from it. And the Holy Spirit does not tolerate hypocrisy in our lives. The Holy Spirit will always make us uncomfortable in that context. It's not a game, it's a calling, and we do need to take it seriously. And I also do believe that the, that the manifestation of the power of God will be proportional to our authenticity. I don't think we will see a great deal of the manifestation of the Spirit in our presence if we really, in our hearts, are not committed to God. And so with that in mind... We go in a somewhat different direction today. Reflections on what being spirit-filled produces in our lives. And we begin in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We find these words. And you can take the Bible that's in front of you there. Uh, it's the English Standard Version, and I'm going to be using that version today. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul writing, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now let's just stop right there for a second because those are very powerful words. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So let's just pause for a second. What is your calling? Well, let's just make it simple. You've been called out of darkness into eternal light. You've been called from despair into a life of purpose and joy in the Holy Spirit. You've been called from eternal loss to eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good calling, isn't it? What you've given up to embrace the calling of God, you've given up despair and darkness and misery to embrace hope and love and joy. Pretty good. So if this is your calling, Paul is saying, live in a manner worthy of this calling. Now don't get hung up here. We're not going legalist here. We're not getting hung up on details here. We're just saying, if God has called you to love, live love. 
Nice little saying, right? If God has called you to joy, be joyful. If God has called you to hope, live with hope in your heart. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Let's go on, verse 2. He gives us some detail here. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this call to a worthy walk is called to follow Jesus. And it's interesting, according to Paul, at least in this passage, the measurement of success that we're walking in our calling the measurement is a relational measurement. It's measured by the reality of our ability to love one another and live at peace with one another, to be humble and gentle, to be filled with this bond of peace and unity in the Holy Spirit. How do we measure our success? When peace and unity reigns within the community of believers. That's a, that's a tough measure. But it's the only one worthy of our calling. Let's go on, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings us into unity. There is one Spirit. It leads us into be one people, one faith, one baptism, to serve the one God who is over all, through all, and in all. This is what the Holy Spirit does. We used to sing a song back in the 70s? <laughs> How many of you go back that far? Yeah. My people. It went like this. You remember it? We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. You know that one? That was a good one, wasn't it? It was even a little racy for our time. But what a powerful message. Let's go on. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this is an interesting little... Uh, interpretive section here for Paul. He's, he's making a reference to an Old Testament uh, passage in Psalm 68, verse 18. And he's using this notion that he, he descended, he ascended, he's connecting this with Jesus, and it's all glorious. Although, be a little careful if you go back and read Psalm 68, 18, because it doesn't quite read exactly the way Paul quoted it. But that's not really the point. Because sometimes we use biblical language to explain things, and we can get a little hung up sometimes on, well, that's not exactly, or at least I get a little hung up sometimes on that. Well, that's not exactly what it says, but it's not really the point here. Paul is making a larger point about God as a giver of gifts, 
let's go with this because Paul seems clear on what he's trying to say. He's saying that when Jesus ascended, the promise of the Father was fulfilled and that the paraclete, the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit came. But here's the thing. The Spirit never shows up empty-handed. He always brings gifts. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now we're going to come back to this. We're going to come back to some of these words in a second. But let me just say this. This is how the church is supposed to work. There are those that the Lord has appointed to, to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Their purpose is to equip the saints. That's you. You are the saints. For the work of the ministry, for building up the body so that we become mature together, so that we become strong together. And what happens when the community becomes strong together is it's no longer tossed to and fro by every little thing that comes along. Because the devil likes to come into communities and throw crazy stuff in there. And if the community is not rooted in Christ and not bonded together, little rifts will begin to appear and folks will be tossed about. And the experience will not be one of love, but of strife. But we are to speak the truth in love and grow up into Christ, who, who puts the whole body together. So some of this, we as a people do well. Both we as a Boulder Church and we as an Adventist community at large. Some of this we do well. Some of it we struggle with. There are roles discussed in this passage in Ephesians. They're hinted at here. There are, there are apostles and teachers and so forth. But there's also this reference to, to the saints who do the work of ministry. What are these, some of these roles? Well, it's connected to these gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. But what do we know about these gifts of the Spirit? Is there anywhere else in Scripture we can go to, to find out maybe some, some ideas of what Paul's talking about here? Well, I'm glad you asked about that because there is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I invite you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. 
And we find these words. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, th those two verses are kind of an interesting little inclusion. And what they speak to is the fact that these letters are written to real people in real times and real places. And this is clearly addressing some issue relevant to that time that's a little hard to piece together at this point that had to do with some confusion among the people as to what exactly is a spirit-filled person, what exactly is not. And it's possible that some of what you see here is connected to the discussion in chapter 14, but I'll leave you to read that to yourself. Today, let's go on with verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So basically, Paul here is trying to make a point, and he says it three times. And the point he's trying to make is the gifts are different, but they all come from the same source. So don't start attributing, well, that's different. That can't be from God because the gifts God gives are the ones I have. Don't go there. So he says it three times to try to make this point. Let's go to verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is an incredibly important verse because it makes two huge points. Number one, everyone gets a gift. Because it says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So number one point, everyone gets a gift. But notice the last part. What is the purpose of the gift? For the common good. Your spiritual gifting is not for your personal entertainment. Your spiritual gifting is for the common good of the community of faith. This is what Sandy was talking about when she was up here doing this story. And, and she pulled out sound tech. Okay? It's not for me. It's so that what I say will be heard. Internet person. I don't know what we call that. What is it? Live stream. There it is. Has a title. It's for the common good. And what's amazing is when we serve in the context of our giftedness and interest, it's also fun. Is that kind of fun, Matt? Kind of fun to get up and play? Yeah. You'd hate to practice all your life and, and never get to do that. But when it happens, it blesses us. Here's the implication. When we as individuals withhold our gift from the church and from the common good, we are literally limiting the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
Think about that. That's a pretty big statement I just made. But if God has poured a gift of the Spirit in your life, His intention is that you use that for the good of the community. And by that means, the grace of God is given to the people through you, through your gifting. But guess what happens if you withhold your gifting? The grace God intended for his community stops. Could it be that we experience a limited amount of the presence of God and the gifts of the Spirit simply because we refuse to participate with our piece of it? Let's keep going. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge through the same Spirit. That's always an interesting one to me, and, and I think it's a huge point. Big difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is acquired through learning, through thought, through reflection, through putting pieces together, through solving puzzles, through, through answering questions. Wisdom is often earned through time and experience. You often go to knowledge for answers, but you go to wisdom for help. Both are given to the church. Not always in the same vessel. So don't assume just because someone doesn't have PhD behind their name that they're not full of wisdom. And here's another one. Don't assume just because they're young. Sometimes there's a lot of wisdom in a young person. Let's keep going. Verse 9. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now some of these gifts seem strange perhaps. Some of them seem familiar. One of the points here is we should not be looking to one or two individuals for the blessing of the Spirit and not figure that anybody else has them. They're everywhere. Everyone is given gifts of the Spirit. Now how does it all come together? Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of one spirit. All right, so Paul lays out this, this body metaphor. And we want to seize on this. And, and as we're on this, I want to jump away from 1 Corinthians 12 to Romans 12. Seizing on this idea of the body because there are a few more gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12 that are not mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. So going to Romans 12, 
verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Do you ever think about it that way? One of the reasons membership matters is because it's me saying, yes, I belong to you and you belong to me. We are a part of this together. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this idea of the Holy Spirit filling us and, and, and giving gifts is not just a New Testament idea. There's actually an Old Testament reference very similar to this. And you can jump over there really quick if you're good in your Bible. Exodus chapter 31, beginning in verse 1. This is in the midst of, of Moses as they're preparing the tabernacle and all these things. God has, has said, Moses, I want you to make all these things. And I have to think Moses was thinking, Lord, I don't know how to make any of these things. But here's the deal. God already had this worked out. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Let me tell you one of the things I take away from that. God will never ask us to do anything as a community that he hasn't already gifted the community to do. So if we feel as though God is calling us to something and you as an individual or me as an individual think, I don't know how to do that, time to start looking around. Because God has put the ability within his people to accomplish everything he's asked them to do. If we all just get out there and find it and do it. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. We need to go back to Paul's discussion of the body here. Now, I'm going to read a, a fairly lengthy section here, but, but it's important. And it's important you see yourself in this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. So I want to just stop right there. Do you ever feel like a foot? Do you ever feel like, I just, I'm just not that important. The foot is not allowed to say that. Because the foot is crucial to the body. 
Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And I have a greater appreciation for the sense of smell. Because back in December, no, November, back in, yeah, kind of lapped over. I kind of lost those days. I had that COVID thing for a little while. I never lost my taste. But I could take a jar of Vicks and bury my nose in it and breathe in as hard as I could, and I could feel the vapors, but I smelled nothing, and I missed it. And I said, nose, you are still a part of the body. And we need you to contribute your important work. And about four weeks later, that program got back online, however that worked. Where were we? Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. You are what God chose. Just, just think about that for a second. You're exactly what God chose you to be. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. <clears throat> but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This makes sense to you with your individual body. Because you don't purposely scrape your hand. But if you're falling down, who jumps in there to save the rest of the body? Your hand. He doesn't like to be scraped, but that's all right. It's his job. He does it. And then you know what happens after... Mr. Hand or Mrs. Hand gets scraped. The rest of the body goes, oh, I'm so sorry you got hurt. Thank you for saving us. This is how the church is supposed to work. We jump in there for each other. We do things for each other. And then if one part of the body is suffering, the rest of it says, oh, I'm so sorry you're hurt. Or if another part of the body is, is having a really good day. You know, let's say, let's say you're a soccer player. And Mr. Right Foot makes a beautiful shot. Guess what the arms do? Ah, celebrate. That kind of sounds fun, doesn't it? Kind of sounds fun to live like that where you have a body of people that you love and you care about. Why does Paul spend so much time on this metaphor? I think it's because it's very important 
in order for us to understand who and what we are as the church. He underlines this point in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And the you is plural. It means us. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So all of us together are the body and each of us is a piece. Now let's go back and reread in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Let's, now that we've gained this knowing, let's go back and let's feed that knowledge into these words. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So the purpose of, of apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers is to build up the body. And what is the body? The body is us. So the purpose is that we would be built up. To what end? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Once again, notice how the measurement of success is a relational engagement. We come to unity within this body in our knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. All right, we're probably not going to get all the way there. But that's the goal. That's the goal. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, one of the things about the use of metaphor is that often the same image gets used as a positive and as potentially as a negative. So Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And then you read this and it says, we don't want to be like children. You get this, right? Don't get caught in the foolishness of words. Go with the metaphor for where it works. What he's saying here is that we not be immature, weak, little things that constantly have to be cared for by someone else. The purpose is that we grow up and be strong and attain to God's purpose so that we're no longer little children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I think this is a hugely important point. Part of maturity of faith is that someone can't come along and whisper, sorry, whisper, got to do it that way, something in your ear that causes you to question everything. All of our leaders are terrible. You can't trust the conference. What's the use? You know, I heard that the... Uh, that the board chair, whatever the saying, right? This is how communities get torn apart. But when we grow up and achieve this sense of unity and maturity in ourselves, then those attacks from the outside cannot tear us apart because we have this united commitment in love together. And when something like that gets said, we go to the source. We don't whisper in the back room. 
the strong. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint within which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Alicia and I had an awesome experience this week. We got a chance to spend some time with some friends of ours from when we were in academy, which doesn't seem that long ago, but next year is our 40th reunion. So that's how time works, in case you wondered. But we got to spend some time with them, and it was amazing. And we went out, and we got to spend some time. We were out skiing yesterday. We had a glorious time. But we got towards the end of the day, and you know when you're skiing, you really kind of need all your parts working? What happens when you start getting tired? My legs were getting a little tired, and Lisa's legs got a little tired. And uh, I was fortunate that I did not fall down. Alicia was not. And it was just plain hard to get back up. Why? Because the legs were tired. Had it been first thing in the morning, no worries. But see, when that happened, then, then the rest of the body has to respond. You've got to come up with other solutions. And maybe that doesn't even work. And maybe somebody else has to come along and help. Maybe we change plans because, because part of the body is tired. It's about this unity of purpose. What does it take to make this work? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm going to invite the, uh, the musicians to come back up because they're going to engage with us in a moment in a spiritual act of worship. But I do want to say to you, as much as it's easy to look at this and say, oh, well, that's what worship is. No, this is just them using their gifts to help us engage in worship in the exact same way that when you use your gifts, you help the body engage in worship. And it is an act of worship on your part. If there's a gift, there's an activity that all of us can take part in that's an act of worship. It's called giving. And we make contributions to the good of the community and to our organization. But there are people within the community that God has blessed in a special way. You remember it said, if, if you've been given this gift of giving, do so generously because it is an act of worship for you. In the same way these people playing violins and piano and singing is an act of worship, giving is an act of worship. Service is an act of worship. It's been noted recently 
that uh, we have not had our refreshments on a regular basis. Let me explain to you why. We decided that shouldn't be Jay's first job. But it doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. What it means is there are some of you out there with that gift of hospitality and that gift of service. And for you to do it is an act of worship. And for us to take it away from you is wrong. Now we can help you coordinate. We can help you organize. But it's wrong. You remember in the book of Acts, the apostles said, This, this service is an act of the community. So we're going to keep doing the things that God has called us to do. But the community in a reflection of who it is will serve. It's an act of worship. So we're all at our best when we're participating in life together. This is what Sandy was telling us. If you listen to the children's story, you could have gone home early but I didn't give you that hint. It's giving gifts to one another. God has blessed many of you with remarkable giftings. And in the church, we should not mistake uh, uh, titled roles for leadership. It's leadership in some ways. But I have served in some interesting churches in my life. And in every church I've ever served, there's always been someone who's a member that's a better leader than me. Now, I could get my feelings hurt by that. Or I could try to strong arm them. But somewhere along the line, I learned it's a little better if I go ahead and let them lead and work with them, not against them. And everywhere I've ever served, there's people more organized than me. And there's people better at praying than me. And there's people better at serving than me. And if it all has to go through me, we're not going to be very good at a lot of stuff. That's not how God created us. What are you good at? What do you like to do? What do you want to give to the community? We need leaders. We need workers. We need givers. I guess I want to end with this question. Who gets your life? See, we're going to give ourselves to something. You're going to give yourself to work? Well, we have to do that to some degree. We give ourselves to family. We have to do that. But is there a more ultimate reality? Will you give your life a living sacrifice to the God who made you, to the Lord who saved you, and to the Spirit who fills you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a remarkable community you've gathered. Lord, help us. You are the head. 
Help us organize ourselves. There's nothing you're calling us to that we can't do. May we find that order guided by your spirit to be everything you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.